Hello and welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. And this is episode 107. <laughs> <laughs> a little pause there. So, Stephen. Yeah. Brewing. Yeah, I had a little bit of a mishap. I actually was just looking at like what this is. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know what these are. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, we've actually covered... Um, the genesis of my electric brewing here on the on the podcast. So I've gone from. Is there a drum solo? <laughs> yeah. <exactly>. <laughs> so so I've gone from a USPS cardboard box and I've upgraded oh. to a uh, to a, a legit junction box uh, yep. for for all of my electronics. But uh, about two weeks ago, I actually melted my SSR in my box. Um, so I have to ask because those SSRs are like. They're the size of like a, a matchbook, uh, about two matchbooks stacked. Yeah, yeah. So they're pretty big. Mm-hmm. How much smoke did that let out? I caught it before. So, so here's the thing. It was functioning. Uh, I caught it before anything bad happened. Ah. I, I turned on the whole system, and it was heating up some water, and yeah. everything was running fine. And I turned to my wife, and I was like, do you smell something? And I looked over, and there was just little wafts of smoke coming out the side of the box. <laughs> so I kicked it off. It was still running. It was still doing everything it ah, needed to. So it was just heating up. It, 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 the thing is, I don't even know if I actually destroyed the SSR. It's just the plastic casing around it started to deform, and the jacket of the wire that was connecting to it that melted. Ooh. So it got really hot, but it didn't actually stop. Do you still have it? No, I actually threw it away. Because <sighs> uh, I've already replaced it. Yeah, I think we should... should Next time, because it will be a next time. <laughs> I hope not. I, I've mitigated the problem. <laughs> oh, yeah, you put a fan on it, right? Yeah, well, I bought I bought a little 12-volt volt blower, actually. Because a fan, a fan's a little annoying because it kind of has like a dead space right in the center yep. cog. So I got a blower instead. And I got a blower that has the right uh, dimensions. It's a school cage fan blower, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has the right mouth uh, dimensions that it was basically the same size of the heat sink. And uh, I, I basically stuck that on the back. And I, I ended up, since that was 12 volts and I only have 220 volts in my case, I ended up buying a little switch mode uh, DIN rail guy and slapping that in there. And I fixed the whole thing for like 20 bucks maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. total. And, a, you know, an afternoon worth of drilling through the case. <laughs> so the thing is, like, that SSR that I had, it's been running for, I don't know, what, a year and a half? Uh, maybe even a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's done a lot of brew days. And the thing is, I always had it passively cooled. I had mm-hmm. it on a heat sink with compound, heat sink compound, but it was in a box that was generally sealed. It had a couple holes in it. I never had any forced air cooling in it. So I'm not really that surprised that it finally gave up the smoke. Yeah. And when you said, cause I, I'm using the same SSRs for mine. Yeah. And so my solution was I just ordered extras because <laughs> <laughs> I'm designing my enclosure to be as waterproof as possible. Yeah. So I don't want to have, like, a fan hole in the side. Gotcha. So gotcha. I'm, I might have to paralyze them or, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, I, I had... Their heat sink. The, the, this SSR is rated for 40 amps uh, at 220, and I, I never pushed it past 25 amps. Yeah. So, you know, D-rate with heat, heat and all that stuff. But now that I have that fan blowing on it or the blower... Um, continuously, the air, if you feel it coming off of it, mm-hmm. doesn't even, it's not even warm. It's, it's still cold. Yeah. Uh, and so it, so it works out really well. And, and I gave it a test the other day. I put it, I'd had a 10 hour brew day, and probably five of those 10 hours. It was running it constantly. Was, yeah, constant in some form. Maybe full power, half power, whatever. Uh, and no problems whatsoever. So, yeah, that was a, that was kind of fun. So next time that happens, either one of mine or yours or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. we get, pull it out, put it aside, you know, put a new one in, finish brew day, and then we take that module and then get it to go, and just see how much smoke that thing lets out. Oh, just let it chew, just yeah. let it just go nuts. Yeah, see how much it will actually like, you know. Well, from what I've researched <laughs> online, those style of SSRs, like the uh-huh. big brick ones, yeah. Their their, uh, their unfortunate uh, failure mode is to fail closed, uh, so they yeah. will fail and then dump as much, much. as they possibly yep. can. The good thing is, like on the back end of my, um, I'm not using it to limit power. If it goes 100, percent I really don't care because I have a 5500 ele- watt element That's, on the back yep. end, which it's normal for that to go full yeah. power. And that element is in 
five to eight gallons of water. Yeah. So as long as you don't like decide to like go across Houston and then come back. Oh, I never it, leave the pot. Yeah, never leave it. So no. like, because the only the worst thing could happen would be that pot evaporated six to seven gallons of water in your apartment. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine how swampy it would be in your apartment if that happened? Actually, so, so no, it's funny. <laughs> a gal- I, I, I boiled off one gallon of water. I actually measured it. One gallon of water in one hour on yeah. my last bo- uh, brew day because I had I, I had it on a rip-roaring boil. Yeah. Your humidity in your apartment went from 10% to 80? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It was 100. 100%? No, no, no. Was, hey, my my wife looked in the kitchen and, the, and like you could barely see the ceiling because yeah. it was just like a fog of all this steam up there. <laughs> Tropical force in your oh apartment. yeah it was it was bad I had to open a window and, and like suck it all out with a fan uh, so I need to find a better way I need like an exhaust hood in yeah, yeah, yeah eventually where this brew thing will land which is likely a garage one day I will put a proper because because actually the ceiling uh you could see like water spots on the ceiling oh like, yeah it started to not I mean it's it's ceiling material I guess what gypsum or whatever and so like it's fine but it was like you could see little damp spots on the ceiling <laughs> <laughs> I know the landlord's gonna come in and be like what the hell happened here <laughs> you just get some tropical so. plants some vines yeah monkeys leopards Tropical kitchen, yeah, tropical kitchen. It'd be like Rainforest Cafe, <laughs> just like anim- random monkey sounds. <laughs> in the back. Yeah, and the animatronics <laughs> that are really bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a really, really inefficient way of making humidity in, yeah. in a place. Just boil the snot out of water. water. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and because of this, so because of this SSR melting, I'm 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 trying to take safety a, t- a little bit more seriously. Just a a fraction. I mean, didn't I, you get a more proper electrical box too? Uh, I just made mine a little more proper. Okay. I went out and started looking for more proper ones, and then I, I found some on Amazon. And I just I'm not ready to plop down that money yet. Yeah. Especially because it works right now. Because yeah. uh, you have a like an in wall. It, it, it's not a breaker box, but it's like a junction box. Yeah. It, it will. It started its life as a as a breaker box, and okay. then I gutted all the breaker like terminals and stuff. Okay. Yeah. And then just made all my own crap. So in the there. one I've got is like a, it's one for a machine. Yours is an external use. Yeah. 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 And so it's got a gasket and everything. I, I want to get that one. Yeah. I, that one looks really nice. It's just I. I don't my my, my uh, brew rig doesn't warrant the size of that case yet. Yep. And I want to plan out like all the electronics in there, and so it was just I figured instead of spending like three hundred bucks and getting all the uh, extra electronics, I'll spend twenty bucks and fix this thing. Yep. So, so what are you going to do to fix it? Well, first of all, I re-ran all the wiring. Yeah. Uh, to the to the um, larger gauge S- SSR. Yeah, larger gauge, and I I kind of double stranded it just more chooch yep uh but i haven't bought this yet it's gonna be a better i want to buy a gfci for it i'm gonna interrupt a little yeah. quick chooch yeah so if people that watch ave it's like something's working <laughs> i guess that's the best way to explain yeah, it yeah yeah, yeah 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 there's gonna be a that's a canadian term though there's gonna be a texan term for that fixing to fixing yeah fixing is a total texas yeah yeah that's not the same as chooch, though. It's not well, right. I'm just saying, like that's a like. Yeah. Fixing to does not mean that you are repairing or fixing. That's something. true. It means you are about to do something. Yeah, that's true. Or you are planning on doing yeah. something, or you even have a thought to do something. Like yes. it means, yeah, it's goofy like that. Yeah. So okay, well, the one thing is something to fix it. You yeah. could actually say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would work. That's valid English here in Texas. Oh, yeah, perfect. So yeah, no, I want to add a GFCI breaker uh, to this box because I am dealing with liquids. Yep, and uh, a whole lot of power. And so I want to know how you're implementing that because I started implementing GFCI to my setup too. Okay, so yeah, there's. But there's, you haven't even seen what I'm trying to do. Well, okay, so uh, just for those who don't know, a GFCI breaker is not a regular breaker. Correct. A regular breaker will just once you trip or go beyond what the maximum current that breaker is set for, it pops and, and opens up. Yep. A GFCI monitors how much current flows out of one leg and monitors how much current flows in the other leg, and they must match within a small portion or a small amount. Yes. So typically that trip point is like 5 milliamps. Yep. Uh, and so what it, what it basically is there to 
guarantee is that like Kirchhoff's current law works, works in the with box. the system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and it doesn't decide to jump into you or well, yeah, something and, else. And if it does decide to jump into you, it will limit it to five five milliamps. milliamps yeah, uh, I'm sure five milliamps at 220 volts hurts like hell. Yeah, but that's not. I don't think that's enough to kill you. It is not. No. Yeah. Um, no, it's not. So the thing is, right now. I don't have I have a standard breaker on my system but you know if for some reason everything were to go catastrophically wrong it would happily dump 50 amps through me through you and into the floor and yeah Yeah, right 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 but I mean then again so would many other appliances in your house yes Uh, so you know usually GFCIs (laughs) are only in your bathroom and sometimes your kitchen Uh, you know like you got a hair dryer and you drop it in the sink kind of thing. That's usually on a GFCI so you don't just And a lot of hair dryers have it built into their plugs too. Right, that that little that little plug that has the button that says test on it, that's a GFCI. Yeah. Uh, and so because I'm working with water, if something were to happen, I don't know, like what if I spilled it on the box and then it was all over me and things like mm-hmm. that. So I want to get GFCIs, but they're unbelievably expensive. Yeah. Like, tally up the entire cost of the box with all the electronics in it that's cheaper than just one GFCI. Yep. And, a GF, cause, and, and my box, I want it to be able to handle 50 amps. Oh, yeah. A 50-amp 220-volt GFCI is like 300 bucks. Yep. Uh, they are not cheap. That's so, what I found, too. Yeah. So one solution that you can do is put the GFCIs downstream and put them so that they're just on your element. Yeah. Uh, so that way you don't have wa- to do twenty five Yeah, yeah. You only have to do twenty five amps. You could have an individual GFCI mm-hmm. for each element and then your cost goes down to like eighty bucks per. Mm-hmm. So that's a solution, but then all the rest of the electronics are not GFCI controlled. The thing is like you have to balance your load. Yep. Uh, so if you have if you're running like a one twenty volt thing on with other two twenty uh Circuitry mm-hmm. that doesn't work with the GFCI because you're pulling more from one leg than the other. Yep. So you kind of have to have a GFCI for each individual thing in a way. So this, so my setup is um, all 220. Yeah. So I don't have any 120 on mine. So all the loads should be balanced. Yeah. And so I went out and bought a 50 amp 240 volt spa GF, GFCI. Oh, nice. And it's a little box. It's designed to go right on the, your spa. Okay. And I basically, it, they're 80 bucks. Nice. So it has the metal box and everything, and I basically opened it up and just gutted it. Gut, I took the breaker out and the mount for it, and that's going in my box. Nice. And I'm just throwing out the little tiny metal box it came with. You know, I, uh, I was thinking about doing something similar to that, having the GFCI for the whole system be a separate box that's on the outside. Yeah. Such that power goes into that box, then power leaves that box and goes into mm-hmm. the, like, command center box. Yes, but I'm just putting that thing in my command center box. Gotcha. Because yeah, yeah, I yeah. can just mount it. Yeah. So cool. that's what I was going to try to do That's a, That's works. a good idea, yeah. I so. mean, uh, spas are a, a very similar kind of... Yeah, environment, just, except that yeah. you're not cooking yourself. <laughs> yeah. It, what, what is the heating element in a spa? Is it is it directly connected to the water? I, wouldn't surprise me. Hmm. So yeah. Or, do, is there, or is there a heat exchanger? I don't know. I don't. Know. A heat exchanger probably is a little um, much. Yeah, it'd probably yeah. be really expensive. It's probably I, just. I, I bet you it's a water tank heater. Yeah, it's just like right just on like, the water. It's probably like a rim setup where it's like it's in a tube. And you just pump water into the tube. Maybe, but you can you can heat up, you can have it just going without a pump going, right? You no, can no, have no. it heating without a pump. No. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. so it probably is, yeah. Yeah. It probably just flows water over a heating element. Yeah. I bet you it's a like a $12 heating element from Home Depot. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. So, and some spas are like gas-powered, so. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Just depends. So, yeah. Um, so how are you going to do the GFCI? I'm not sure yet. Oh, not yet. No, yeah, no, I guess not, I'll send you that link because yeah, that yeah, way yeah, you yeah. can you can just out. run it on your 220s. Well, that's it depends because you're running four wire 220. That's right. Because I'm only running three wire, which is why I have to go everything 220. Right. Well, because you have uh, two hots and a neutral, right? You don't have a ground. No, I have a ground. Two hots and a ground. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The two 220 legs that come into your house. Yeah. 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 Okay. I got. You. Basically, I got you. I'm yeah. using my welder plug as my brewer plug. And that's only a three prong, so it's, you got you got two twenty, you know, one phase ground, and then two twenty inverse phase is what you have. I'm sort of doing the same thing as you because I don't even really use my neutral. Then don't 
Well, you, you you have your pumps are 120. Oh yeah, but right now I'm not my, my pumps. I'm doing them to the wall. Oh then yeah, just use this thing because it's only 80 bucks. So you can run everything on your setup as long as it works. I don't know if it works yet. Hmm. It should. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Cool. So. All right. So Parker. Yeah. Talk so, to me. What's so up? This DAC board we were talking about a couple weeks ago. The uh, digital analog converter for the Raspberry Pi. Mm-hmm. Um, got them built nice. and tested. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So first I've I've seen it. Yeah. So this that one that you have there. What's it say? It says that's Rev One C. Yeah. So that's the cheap one. Oh yeah 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 yep. yeah. This is the expensive one. So you can see how its bypass caps are ginormous and and filmy looking. Yes. 0.1 microfarad film caps. Um, and then I've got the B Rev, which has the cheap bypass caps, and then the fancy resistors and capacitors. So all this, uh, all this capacitor jazz up at the top is that power supply? Yep. Uh, filtering. Okay. Yeah. Looks and like that's you got like a, a pretty decent amount of filtering on that. Yeah, I I did the typical what I usually normally do for LDOs, which is like one mic, one hundred. Uh, no, I use ten. Mi- 10 microfarad, oh. 0.1 microfarad, ah. and then 0.1 microfarad, 10 microfarad, and then depending on the application, uh, I think these are like, I think those are 10 microfarad electrolytics too. I always put an electrolytic usually there too, because they just a big bulk cap. Yeah, and they have different frequency responses. Yeah. So that's yeah. the that's the trick when you pro tech tip. <laughs> um, is when you're looking at your filtering on power supplies, especially like this, because you always want to put a couple capacitors usually, and you want to make sure that their frequency responses are different. And you don't want them, because they'll have a notch somewhere in their frequency response, and you don't want the notches to line up. Because if you have the, you know, if the, if the notches are in the same spot, then they don't filter, your your filtering doesn't filter that spot. I guess that makes well, sense. Well, it, it, it does, but just not as good as it could yeah 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 i i I think the rule of thumb is uh divide by 10 right Uh, so whatever you have a large capacitance like if you have a 10 mic divide by 10 you could put a one mic there and then divide by 10 you keep if if you want to have as well the thing these curves that all line up the trick with that is you have to make sure that the same package and the same dielectric that's right that's the only thing reason that's the only way that rule of thumb lines up right because if you change the package or you change the dielectric that shifts that whole setup. Right, because the reason why that curve even curves upwards is self-inductance mm-hmm. that happens later off, yep. uh, which depends on you know geometry and, and a handful of other things with yep. the package. But what you've got going on here, uh, a lot of times these um, electrolytic caps have a high ESR, yep. or high comparatively ESR. Yes. Compared to so ceramics, yeah. You can put your bulk capacitance in the uh, aluminum electrolytics, and then put a ceramic next to it, and the ceramic will take, you know, the real fast stuff. Yep. Whereas the electrolytic takes the bulk of the just like stream of power. Yeah. So cool. It's you gotta think of it as the ceramics are more of a high pass style fil- uh, filtering for your power supply, and electrolytics are more of a low passer, kind of. Uh, I guess. Yeah. Cool. I think that's correct. H- have you uh, fired <laughs> these up yet? Yeah. And you can, so there's some issues with them. Oh, okay. okay. So I was trying to get them fired up last night before the, you know, before we started the podcast, so I'd get it all out of the way. And I could not talk to them. You mm. could not get the Raspberry Pi to talk to them. And these are using the uh, PCM5122 DAX. And this is I squared C? I squared C and I squared S. Okay. So I do S, yeah. So it's I square C for communication for like control, mm-hmm. and then I two S is the protocol to do the sound. Um, so the the problem is, um, I just couldn't. The driver on the Raspberry <laughs> Pi couldn't. I think I see what you. I think I see what you've done to the chips here. Oh, okay. That's actually not what the main problem was. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just looking at the chips so, and I see a so, leg that's so funky. Yeah, yeah. The PCM five one two two is used on like. The Hi Fi Berry DAC Plus, which has built in drivers for the Raspberry Pi kernel. Mm-hmm. And so all you have to do is to say, I want to use this and it and connect the pins correctly and it should work. Well, it wasn't. And I hooked up like I hooked up my digital logic analyzer and I was getting this is this is after I did like all the software side, like D message and like looking at like 
the boot log, and it's like it was trying to talk to it, and just like said, nah, can't talk to it, and then yeah, failed. I give up. Yeah. And so I put my DLA on it, the digital logic analyzer, and I was getting I2C communication. Up to the chip, up right? Up to the chip. Yeah. And then it would fail. Okay. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. And then I put, I'm like, well, the DLA doesn't always tell you what's truly going on because it's a digital signal. So you're <laughs> you're seeing the ones and zeros. That's it, right? Yeah, right. You're not seeing like how much of a one it is. Oh. You see what I'm getting with this? Hey. So I put the scope on it, <laughs> and it was attenuated. Ah. And so it was only going up to like 1.8 volts. Hmm. And that's not enough. That's enough to trigger the one on my DLA, but it wasn't enough to trigger the one on this guy. Is it like a 1.2 threshold or something like that? On the DLA, it was. Yeah. On yeah. this guy, it's like two point something volts. Ah. And so I'm like, huh? I wonder if my 1k attenuating resistors is too high of a value. Huh. Put 30. I put 27 ohms on there. Boom, fired right up. <laughs> you went from 1K to 27. Ohms. Well, the resistors are only there. I put them on there because this is supposed to go in the pinball machine. Yeah. So there's going to be a ribbon cable. And I wanted all the EMF to like quench. Like I wanted like just yeah, yeah, stop yeah. it as hard as I can. So I'm like, 1K would probably work. Yeah, no. it's, yeah, I, I got you. Yeah, yeah it's just 1K was feel. way too much. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, okay. So, so I, put thir- I put 27, which. Should still do a good enough job at killing the EMF off the line, and it works. So whatever the input impedance of that pin was... It's not high. It, okay. Or yeah. not high, as as high as I thought it could have been. Well, it was making a voltage divider yeah. with the with the 1K. Yeah. So. It oh, wasn't man. like a giga-ohm. <laughs> it's probably in a couple hundred K or something like that. Maybe not even. Maybe, maybe it's actually 10K then. Yeah, it might it might be pretty damn low. Yeah. Okay. I have to check that out, see what the uh, impedance... Um, on that is so you were able to uh, talk to it yeah so i got working um well that wasn't the only issue <laughs> so that got it so that i could talk to it but then it would fail the driver initialization hmm. and i started looking into how the the hi-fi berry is not open source and so but i have like a clone of one sitting on my desk so i'm like i'll just take the clone apart so i desoldered it <laughs> chip and just like that's kind of like routed the pins out and the the chip has two address lines that you can pull up or down that change the addressing of the I2C. Yep. I had one messed up. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I lifted the leg and bent the leg over cuz it needed <laughs> it was the pad was pulled down. So I lifted the leg and then and the pin next to it was pulled high. So I just dragged the pin over and soldered it. <laughs> I was looking at that cuz at first I was like, "Oh, Parker, here's your issue. You have a you have a solder short on no, it." And I looked at it that like, way. "Well, that's not a solder short. That's the pin." Pin is like <laughs> Yanked over. Yeah, it's, uh, that's that's really cool. Yeah, so that works. So it works now. Okay, so it pumps out audio. Yep. Nice. And so we're going to do a like I'm, I'm, I want to try doing some like um, you know pumping frequencies through it and capture it on the scope all the different versions. See how much of it like if you put a single tone through, how much distortion do you get? And then I want to try doing a sweep, and then capture the sweep on the scope, and then maybe do like an FFT. Mm-hmm. And see what I get. Yeah, look at look at your um, harmonic content. See yep. see if you get any jazz above or below your fundamental. Yeah. So I was going to try doing that, and then we're just going to do a straight up. I'm going to hook them up into a, a box, and then have people around the office like listen to them and see which one they think is the best one. Mm, cool. Just do a straight blind test. You know, I'm looking at the one that has the uh, the fancy schmancy film caps. Yeah. And some of the caps look weird. They they look they look like they have a bulbous. Like I, that, was, that was by accident for me. Oh, it wasn't? Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't sure if that was like... Oh, so that's like, the I guess, the coating on yeah, it. Yeah, I actually like cooked melted. the coating just a tiny bit. <laughs> okay. I was just like, I've never yeah. seen a film cap that way. <laughs> yeah. They look great out of the reflow oven, and then I had to take that chip off. Oh, <laughs> I see. I see. Cool. But, well, it, didn't but affect, it still works. It didn't affect the value either. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I actually checked it. Now, it might have affected the frequency response. I bet you just cooked the uh, the, the varnish that's on yeah, the Yeah, that's what it looked like to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. It, it almost looks like, it actually looks like um, there's unmelted solder paste on the side. Mm-hmm. But, hey, yeah, I if think it works, it, just, it works. I think it was just the varnish, and it's, it's steady state um, is still 0.1 microfarad. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's probably fine. 
Well, and and the the, the purpose of these caps is not to actually filter, right? Yeah. I think I think that all of these cap values were selected such that it gives you the full bandwidth range. Oh, the ones that look melted you're talking about, those are straight up digital bypass caps that are for that chip. Oh, so they actually have nothing to do with the signal path. Correct. Oh, okay, well they then, probably absolutely do nothing. So even if they weren't there, it still might work. Yes. So okay, well, yeah. whatever. Yeah, those were. That's the most expensive board. Those point one microfarad caps cost more than the one audio caps that are in the audio circuit. <laughs> yeah, those are expensive caps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like twelve oh ten package or something like that. Yeah, yeah. They're film caps are not cheap, especially SMT ones. Well, film caps through hole are cheap, but film SMTs are not. Correct, because they have to handle two hundred sixty degrees Celsius three flow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and actually, that, that's the thing. Most do not. You have to check the data sheets for their reflow temps. Mm-hmm. Most of the ones I was finding that are the cheap ones can only do like lead free, uh, not lead free, uh, leaded. Well, or the in a lot of cases they're meant to be like specific caps that you put in one location on the like you you choose film for its properties. Yeah, uh, either you're an audio wank or you need like specific pulse properties or really low ESR. You, you pick mm-hmm. film in those situations. And so in whatever design you have, that e- even if it's SMD, that cap might be soldered by hand yep. for whatever reason. Uh, so in a lot of cases, they don't need to be that high of temperature. Correct. You just have to specify its thermal junction temperature, Yeah, whatever that's called. Actually, I think that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, but there's a specific time for like how long the iron can actually sit there for. I think it's usually like three to five seconds. Yeah. Something like that, which doesn't seem like much when you're soldering. Nope. Yeah. Especially if you're soldering with a, just a, you know, fire stick from Radio Shack. Oh, like the 60-watt, you know, bazooka pin? No, 20-watt pin that you get from uh, Radio Shack back in the day. Well, they were more than 20 watts, weren't they? Yeah. Nope. The cheap ones, hell, I my first soldering iron was a 15-watt pin. Wow. I remember uh, they used to come with a tip that was so freaking huge that it was so hard to, to do a lot of hobbyist projects. I, I, first couple of projects I did, I was like, man, how do people solder? And then I realized, like, you can get smaller tips. Yeah. Uh, also, those those um, those old soldering irons, they ate through tips, I found. Yeah, yeah. They, really crappy alloys. Yeah, my, my first... Uh, let's just talk about soldering irons. I, we already are. Yeah. So my first soldering iron was a 15 watt soldering iron from Radio Shack, and yeah, the tip on that—that's one thing I I just remembered is the tip was just horrendous on it. Like I would I would take sandpaper to just clean it up. Oh yeah. And then you know, of course, that just made it worse because you exposed because it was like copper, I think. Oh yeah, the yeah. Tip. You could you could see like the plating and then the the underneath. Yeah. And so you just take down the copper and then basically you had to sand it every single time to take off the patina off the copper. Oh yeah, I, I used to keep a <laughs> I used to keep a file right next to my bench and I would just rub it on the file and it would solder like a you know like a champ for about a minute. Yeah. So and then um, then I went to a twenty five watt Radio Shack iron. Spent like the extra like five bucks once that fifteen watt one died. And then I went to a WP30, which is a Weller iron, a oh, Weller you, fire stick. You upgraded there. That that iron lasted me a long. I think I went through like eight to ten tips with that. And I still have it. Hmm. And that iron, it's in my like toolbox I put in the back of the Jeep. Oh yeah, because it's a, uh, it's just a really good iron, and it it heated up okay. Like compared to the Radio Shack, it like heated up. Like I was like oh, amazed. The radio check. You got to turn it on and let it like bake for an hour. Yeah, these you plugged it in, in about five ten minutes. It was hot enough. Um, and then I went to, I bought a Weller. W W E S fifty, which is the like basic model station, and that was one of the things where like this thing goes up to like nine hundred degrees Fahrenheit, and it like heats up almost instantly. Mm-hmm. And I actually still use that with like a. I wrote on the side like what tips to buy because like back then it was like really hard to find like the tips you wanted to buy at like um on like Mauser or whatever. Yeah. And so it's ETS style tips is what I used. Oh, that was your your specialty tip. Yeah. And um, and I built so many circuit boards with that thing. Like basically in the beginning of high school to all the way through college until 
Until I graduated, yeah, I used that iron. Wow. Yeah, and now I use like crappy. You like I I like went like the other way. Like I was like getting smaller tips, and then I bought a a what is that brand? Extronic. Yeah, 40 yeah. 40 with, with the the shovel club well it comes with a lot of different tips and i was using and i was like man these small tips suck and so then i put like this ginormous chisel tip that's like quarter inch wide really thick and but it comes down to a little tiny point and that is like the best thing ever like oh. I, I i soldered so many pin hex 0.4 millimeter on those pick 32s 0.4 millimeter pitch TQFP 144s with a club with a club and the thing is you just get it going and just like drag solder perfect every single time well drag solder is different than like sniper solder but I was sniper solder because you turn turn it 90 degrees and you get this <laughs> the point and you just like sniper solder the only problem with that tip is you can't get it into places knowing it oxidizes like oh yeah immediately it does yeah, yeah. that's because the coating they use on those they're those, garbage yeah so the Xtronic uses like Hako tips Yep. So I just buy the Hako ones now, and they work a lot better. Yeah. But I, I get the big chisel because it's just like, as long as it comes down to a little point and you have clearance, it works great. If you don't have clearance, then you, you need melt to dump stuff. a shitload of heat into a joint. That thing works pretty. Oh yeah, because I have it maxed out on temperature as yeah. well. <laughs> I, I'm using one of those uh, Chinese UUs or however you use. Yeah, UUs or whatever. Yeah. I think I paid a hundred bucks for it on Amazon and. Man, those things are awesome. Yeah, they're great. They're like, and it's the hot air station they too. They are like as cheesium as you can get. And oh yeah, they're just great. Uh, yeah, it's the hot air station and, yeah, that's the, what and mine the iron. Is. And uh, um, it's it's awesome. There is a there's a new guy on well not new guy. There's a, there's a, a person on on uh, Amazon that also sells replacement handles because those handles break all the damn time. Yep. on those things, uh, you can get a brand new handle and it comes with a whole pack of like fifteen different tips. New tips. Yeah, it's like seven bucks or yeah. something like that. And so. It, the Next hand, day the shipping. handle will break on that. It's <laughs> yeah. guaranteed. It will break. But every time it breaks, you get a shitload of tips with yep. it. So it's like, okay, great. Yeah, it, Those things are awesome. I have done a ton of work on yeah. it, and it just, it's a champ. Yeah, because um, when you're doing like hobby, like hobby soldering like we do on the side and stuff, it's like those are, the, in my opinion, the best rigs. Oh, for sure. Because they're the... the the tips are Hakko compatible, so you can get nicer tips if you want. Um, there's tons of parts. They they work great. And it has the hot air. Yep. Um, you don't need to spend 300 bucks on a station. Oh, no, no, no. No. One um, of those things. And they're getting cheaper. Yeah. I mean, we, we buy... Um, we have like the high-end Hakkos here on the floor, and we have Thermaltronics. Right. Um, we talked about Thermaltronics before. Um, I really like the Thermaltronics. Because the the they use that curry heat frequency they heat stuff up super fast, super fast, and they never like if you're doing big ground planes, they're great. But it's like for hobbyists, you don't need that. You you know what the you, it, that's one of those like when it's like oh I want to spend three hundred dollars on a station. Okay, cool, get a thermaltronic. But yeah, yeah. Well, well, he, here's what I what I see as the difference between like professional soldering iron and and like home gamer soldering the comfortable. Grip? Oh. <laughs> Not even that, actually. Here's the one difference that I see. is like a professional soldering iron is designed to work 23 out of 24 hours a day. Yeah. You know, like when there's like shift changes, yeah. it might be turned off. Oh, yeah. But it will work nonstop. Yeah, it's Whereas the, I would not trust my UU to go 24 hours yeah. a day. It's the, I think it's the, in my opinion, it's not reliability because I think my Xtronic is, I've had that thing for like five years now and it's survived like, Four moves. I've dropped it, and it's still. I haven't even replaced a continual on operation. It. Yeah, and I've left it on over the weekend by accident before, and oh, yeah. nothing bad happened. Yeah, it just, <laughs> just cooked itself. Um, uh, oxidized tip. <laughs> yeah. is is how comfortable the handle is hmm. because the Thermaltronics feel really good in hand, and it's really well isolated from the heat. Same thing with the high end Hakos. Whereas the Xtronic, like if you leave it on for a couple hours, you can't even grab the handle because oh. the handle's hot. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Not to even mention the ergonomics of that handle. I always thought the Radio Shack uh, Fire Sticks got hot in the handle too. They you did. Had, you had to hold them on like back, back at, at where, the like, end yeah. where the strain relief yeah. on the cable yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that's actually one thing my WP30, which is my Weller Fire Stick, was like if you look at it, like the insulation around it was like 
an inch in diameter. So like it was almost holding like like a javelin on your your iron on your. <laughs> well, board. I mean, if you think about it, you you've got to make seven hundred degrees go down to room temp <laughs> seventy degrees in in half an inch. Or not even half an inch. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that's that's probably one of the harder aspects of making a yep. soldering iron. Yeah, make sure you have enough isolation, thermal isolation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Cool. So yeah. on to the RFO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, RFO. Um, so you found this. Yeah, I found a really cool chip this week. Um, so I kind of ha- I was having a conversation with a buddy, and we were talking about like just random stuff. And one of the things we were talking about was a uh, a microphone idea. And I realized I'd never really looked into the microphone IC world. I, I have, but but only in like the preamplifier world, where it's just like this is a preamplifier that's designed to work with this particular type of microphone diaphragm but, and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but I never looked into like the whole kit and caboodle package. And I found one, and uh, it's super freaking cool. It's called the PCM twenty nine twelve A USB microphone chip. And this thing is literally like about as all in one as you can get. This is like a couple weeks ago we had the toaster chip. Yes. This is the toaster chip of microphones and headsets. Well, okay, exactly. <laughs> and the thing that's so crazy about this, okay, so get this, it it has it has a an analog to digital converter on this chip. It also has a digital to analog converter on the chip, and it has a basically a whole USB audio codec core mm-hmm. in it. So it has one input where you you basically mm-hmm. just put your microphone. Uh, it has USB output, but it will also output audio from this chip. So let's say you wanted to make a whole podcasting microphone rig where mm-hmm. you plug your headphones directly into this and you can hear from it and you can talk into it. This chip will handle all of that, including all the drivers to Windows, including all the communication to Windows and everything. And it doesn't require off-board components other than what you would normally expect. I think it's like, passive. Like a crystal. And yeah, like it's that. got a... Cr- you need a crystal and then you need um, some passives and resistors and stuff. Right. So depending depending on what kind of uh, microphone sensing element... Like Actually, I printed off the, applica- the layout guideline. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. There there's go. a problem with this layout guideline, though. Uh, you know, I noticed that actually the other day too. Well, let's let's see. What 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 problem did you run into? USB input area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The D plus, <laughs> D minus, yeah. Like, yeah, D the D minus is actually the uh, the, the V bus. bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that the other day. I was looking at this. I was like, man, if you hooked it up like this, that you'd have some problems. Yeah, you'd have some problems. Yeah. I like. I looked That's at that and I'm like, right I'm like, uh, why is the D minus, which is the differential signal yeah. for USB for Data, those that don't basically. know, is it's running right into like. The anodes of the LEDs. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, why? Why are you running that? You know, in I there? thought I thought about that too because I was like, is this supposed to like light up LEDs? Yeah, exactly. Like, That's why data is not supposed to carry a bunch of current. Current. Uh, yeah. What, so as so I went and looked and see what pin two, which is what it's connected to, it's supposed like, to be V bus. Yeah, V bus. Yeah. So <laughs> TI kind of goofed a little bit on this diagram. Uh, I started actually looking at other chunks of the diagram to be like, wow, did they goof on other things? And I don't think they did. Uh, I think they was just... Oh, I, I just stopped there. I'm like, well, yeah. they didn't get that right. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, like, most of the passives that are on this thing are basically just, like, support passives. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, just, like, bypass caps. And oh, yeah, like it's that. like how this 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 uh, other this uh, PCM5122 DAC is. Yep. It's all support passives and, and resist. Oh, I always say passives and resistors. It's capacitors and resistors or just passives. Yeah, they're all passives. Yeah, they're all passives. So uh, the thing is, like, if you wanted to build, like, a headset that had a microphone on it, this chip could handle the whole thing. You know, I was actually thinking about that, and I might do a article series for MacFab on yeah. this chip. That'd be cool. And basically prototype a headset. Yeah, do it. Like, 3D print stuff and build the circuit boards and, yeah. That'd be super cool. Yeah. yeah. And and the thing is, this chip in Macro singles set. is $11.50. Ooh, that's so like kind of pricey. It's pricey, yeah. but if you think about it, like, for most microphone sensing elements, you don't need anything other than the element because yep. it goes directly in and it has a high enough impedance. Yeah. So you don't need any, unless you want some, you don't need any, like, analog conditioning or anything like that. Uh, on top of that, it has... It has it actually has two gain amplifiers inside, so you can choose right at the front end. You can put twenty decibels of gain on uh, your mic. 
Right, which is a thousand times gain. Uh, if you want, and then above and beyond that, you can add anywhere from zero to thirty, a little bit further on. So technically, you can go from anywhere from zero to fifty decibels of gain on this thing. So if you have a really, really sensitive element, yep, that needs ten thousand times gain, you can do it on this thing, uh, and that's all programmable. You can do that directly from Windows, basically. Huh. Uh, and the zero to twenty is just if you pull a pin up or down. Gotcha. So, so uh, I was looking at this kind of like, wow, it's expensive. But then I was like, it literally it does, does everything. the whole thing. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, you're also paying for like the driver support and stuff like that. It is okay. So there's two kind of downfall. Well, I mean, also on top of that, it you can run the entire system over USB power. Yeah, that's cool. But but two downfalls to it, and they're sort of downfalls. Not really. It depends on what you're looking for. First of all, it's only 16 bit. Uh, resolution. So the standard nowadays for audio is 24-bit. Yep. Whatever. 16 is still probably fine, especially for, you know, if you're going to use this as, like, a gaming headset, you're going to be compressed to, like, three bits anyway. Like, you know, <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you don't need 24-bit audio. The other thing that kind of sucks, not a big deal, though, is it, uh, the maximum sampling frequency is 48K, which that's more than enough. Yeah, if you're using voice over IP, that's way more enough. Right. So you're not going to be doing like amazing recording on this thing. Yeah. But if you're using this as just like a capture element, you know, it meets Nyquist. Uh, yep. it's, it's it's good enough for 20 kilohertz, yeah, yeah. you know. So, uh, yeah, you wouldn't record a, a nice album on it. But hey. As you're looking for that lo fi effect. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> actually, this is probably actually too high fi for that. Too. You, well, you can turn down the sampling rate. You oh, can turn you the go. sampling rate to like. I think it goes down to like 11K or something like that. So if you wanted hmm. it to be gritty, you could actually do that. There you go. Uh, and, and all of those settings are actually done via Windows. Uh, so you can uh, change the frequency over USB. That's cool. It's probably through the Windows um, sound options. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it okay. is. And the thing that, that what's really nice about it is you, you do zero programming. You just slap this on the board and it works. That is nice. Yeah. So if you wanted to manufacture a bunch of like podcasting or streaming microphones, you just build it and ship it yeah you know so build it and then ship it right <laughs> all right so speaking of bad data sheets Ooh. or interesting data sheets we've never talked about that before yeah. so i was looking at because i was talking about building a usb hub for uh-huh. my raspberry pi compute module setup and i'm going to use the what's called the the it's microchips lan 9514 which is a just a host controller it's thing? a host controller but it also has ethernet built in so you get an Ethernet controller, and you get four USB ports. It's pretty sweet. So I was going through the data sheet, and this is something that Steven's made fun of me a lot. And it a says, lot. I can't remember what page it is on, but I, I, pr- I have a screenshot here. Is um, when this? It says this in the when you're like doing like power monitoring for your USB ports. It says when disabling port power, the drive will actively drive a zero. <laughs> Not pull it down the ground or pull or just say pull down. It says drive a zero. The that sentence <laughs> like those kinds of things. Like, and it's how and do you drive nothing. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> yeah, but it's like because you made fun of me of like saying pulling it up to a one. Yeah, and I kind of said it as a joke. But this, no, this is an in, another engineer wrote this. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, another engineer that's very like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pull it down to a zero, zero. or drive it not high. Drive it to one. Drive it to one. Yeah. Um, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's there's one other out there somewhere in the world, Parker. Yeah, somewhere. There's another one of you. Oh, that's a scary thought. <laughs> yeah, that is real scary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next topic is the Ben Heck Show. We've had Ben Heck and Orton on, on the podcast twice, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ben Heck Show, who he, is the YouTube video uh, show that he hosts... Um, He's not doing that anymore, apparently. Wait, Ben's not doing it? Yeah. Oh, he gave up? Well, well not gave up. He well, yeah, uh, they came out finishing. with a, yeah, they came out with a video of like the future of the Ben Heck show, and they basically was like an interview with him, and he was like, "Yeah, he's done." Well, cheers to Ben. Yeah, it's think, an entertaining show. Yeah, I think it's like four or five years in the running so far. Yeah, and and they've done some really cool stuff on that. Yeah, uh, you've been on the show too. Right? Yeah, actually, the I was on episode three, the only build that failed, 
And I did not have a crazy beard then. And you were also the pinball baron, right? Yeah, I was on the pinball episode too. Yeah, yeah that was a lot of fun. That was actually the that was the most fun. That was a that was a long time ago. That was with um, Jerry Ellsworth. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Cool. That that was maybe that's longer than five years ago. <laughs> that was before we started. Um, um, that was when I was still in college. So man, that that pot that that show must be going on for like eight years now. Yeah, it's the end of an era. You also uh, didn't you help with another? Well, you've helped with. A I help with a lot of their projects on the back end, like conceptual wise. Like, but didn't you help with the one about like cleaning up bromide off of uh, old Super Nintendo consoles or something like that? I did that. That wasn't with the. Um, Ben Heck show though. Oh, I thought that was that was fun. something. That was did they do that in Ben Heck show? I think they did. So we that was actually uh, the Atari Age form back when I was doing video mods for Ataris, and I was helping out figuring out how to make that work with SNES. That was that was for Atari like computers and SNES cases. So that was a that was way long ago. That's another like lifetime ago. <laughs> I, so I got an SNES in 1996. Yep, and um, mine doesn't have that problem. Yeah, it de- really depended on what they basically just couldn't get the mixture right. Yeah, and so when it when I got it right, it looks great because mine looks still brand new when I bought it. Oh yeah, mine still has that like perfect gray and purple look. To yeah, it. yeah. Um, but if they got it wrong, it yellowed after like four or five years. And. Uh, what was the point of adding that stuff? Was it a fire retardant? Oh, fire retardant. That's what it was. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So if you have a little too much, then yeah. UV light would cook it. I think it was too little. Maybe it's too much. I can't remember. It's been a long time. One way or the other. Yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah. Um. Hopefully Ben goes on to different I'm, things that he wants to do because he basically I think he's like tired of doing it. It's 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 Ben like. He, Regardless of if he's being filmed or not, he will do that kind of crap. That's true. That's so, yeah. Like he will absolutely have a good time doing crazy yeah. stuff. So we'll have to have him back on the podcast. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, he's already been on twice, so yeah, I'm sure he'll be again. Yeah. Um. So then the last topic is uh, adventures in auto routing. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> um. So there was this article was written October last year, and it just popped up in the electronics subreddit today. And so I was looking at it, and I was reading it, and I'm like, this is definitely written, this is not offensive to this person at all, but it was written by a software person, because how his language is, <laughs> or sure, his, sure. The, uh, the person, I think his name is John, Josh. He just doesn't get it. So, well, it's, it, it's I don't know who the author is, but it's josh.com, wp.josh.com. Well, clearly it's Josh. So Josh <laughs> um, is, because all what... The person Josh is writing about, it's not like he's talking about, or Josh is talking about like optimizing stuff, but like, like stuff like imagine t- this is a quote imagine today's standard four layer boards routinely being fit into two layers without any human effort. And it's like most time when you choose four layers, it's not because it's easier to route, it's because you need. Noise suppression in EMF or RF, or you want you need better power return and ground loop control. Right, right, right. Um, because of the cost increase, you have to like making the jump from two to four, or even four to six. Like it's a big jump. You have to be very deliberate about it. Yeah, and and so it, when he's talking about like all the things, or Josh is talking about all the things that he wants to do. With this, he's talking. Uh, Josh is talking about like all these like crazy um, machine learning and stuff like to to make auto routing better. Because basically, he's going through like four different auto routers that you can get, and it's and the deficiencies. And he's like, "Well, we could take all these open source designs and toss them to a machine learning, and sure, that's awesome. And actually, would probably make a really good auto router, but it doesn't take in." consideration the problems with auto routers it's not that they don't always work with your your layouts or they don't always route correctly it's because they don't take into consideration they don't know what is traveling over those signals right and how 
the ground path return is affected by X action. Or, oh, this is a 16 megahertz crystal, so we need to make sure nothing comes near that thing. And Or that those traces need to be incredibly short. Yeah, really short, and n- any trace near it need to be orthogonal to it, so they don't pick up... Uh, um, what's that term? That that that, that was a that was a fantastic uh, word there. Orthogonal. Orthogonal. For their mutual conductance. Mutual conductance. Right. Well, that's what it is. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Josh did bring up some good points there, but fails to really hit on why autoralgers are not very good for most things. Um. Now, I believe in the future, yes, we'll probably have auto-routers that will have AI and can figure that stuff out. It could be even like, if the AI or the auto-router is smart enough, you could say it has a model, like almost a spice model of like, but spice models work really well, or pretty much analog-ish style things. If you had a spice model or equivalent of an 18 mega 328p, and then you can say, here's my Arduino code, uh, the hex file, and then you can actually run a digital simulation of your stuff and then figure out... I think, actually, FPGAs do this. That, that does already exist? Yeah, this exists. It, but it's those are very expensive add-on packages, yeah. and they're, they're less powerful than you think. Yeah. Um, but... Given enough time, the human species can do anything. So well, okay. So so in, <laughs> in the research I've done with auto routers, they're not terrible, but the, you, this is usually what happens: is an auto router will actually do almost as good of a job as a human, and I actually truly believe that. The thing is, you have to spend so long putting in all of the little like intricate characteristics on every net. That it, would, it takes less time to just route the board yourself. Yeah. You know, when you're making your schematic, you have to say, oh, this trace is special because of XYZ, and this pin is a output, and this blah, blah, blah. Like, most of the time, you can hold that in your head well enough, even in a very complex design, that, you know, the auto router is just not... It's just not as efficient as people think. It's, it, it is absolutely not a, a button that you just press and poof, out comes a PCB. Like, yes, a PCB will come out, and it is almost guaranteed to be garbage. <laughs> uh, so you have to spend so much time configuring it that it just it loses its efficiency. Yeah, so Josh, he, tried, he, he actually built his board that was based off this, and it worked. Now, it worked in the sense of, he loaded his code and it worked, but he didn't do any other testing on it. Like, how much EMF was it outputting? You know, it's a product that he's just building for himself. Um, well, uh, here's a great example. I know DipTrace prefers by default, unless you configure it right, it will prefer that like certain traces go vertically on yeah. some layers and other traces go horizontally. So every trace is practically guaranteed to make a whole bunch of layer-to-layer transitions and 90-degree turns all over the place, you're guaranteed to make, like, just a noisy box at that point, you know? Like, nothing's making nice curves or or 45s or anything like that. Uh, You're just making really sharp turns all over the place, and it's almost guaranteed to radiate all over the place. That would be an interesting thing is to do a test on, like, let's say we took this DAC board Mm -hmm. and then hooked this thing up and ran a, we can auto-route this one. Mm Mm-hmm. To rip up all the traces, auto route it, and then compare it to what I routed here. Because I'll put it this way: this this board here, on the, it's a two layer board. The backside is a hundred percent unbroken ground plane. Yeah, you did everything on top. Yeah, all the parts are on top, and then all the signals are on top. Well, okay, actually, I see a three part thing that would be fun. Okay, so. But we need to be able to test that, and we don't have the right stuff to test that thing. Well, no, but but just consider this as a, as like a thought experiment here. Do three PCBs. The one you did already is mm-hmm. complete. That's that. Do another one where you spend all the time and you make the auto router play by really, really nice rules. And then do another PCB where you just load up the PCB and click auto router right away. Route. <laughs> and just have it do like the shittiest thing possible. Yeah. This is the thing that I did when I think the biggest thing with auto routing and actually just routing in general is putting the parts where they need to go mm-hmm. where the routes make sense and so it's like I've already done that's actually the hardest thing connecting everything together is not that hard 
Well, but but the thing is, and actually, you did the connections in your head when you were pl- placing components. So Josh actually brings that up. It says, "Hey, if you have some components, because like uh, his board design had LEDs on the outside, and he wanted only those." LEDs to be in those spots. So all the other parts didn't matter where they were at. Right. And so if the auto router had the capability of moving those around automatically to basically do what we do in our heads, yeah, that would be pretty sweet. I mean, we have like really ridiculous iterative loops going through our heads while placing. It's like place this component, think about all the other components. Place the next component, think about all the other. You know, like it's constantly a matter of that. Yeah. Now, Diptrace has two routers it has an auto placement and an auto router so you can place all the components you want to be in very specific places and then lock them and then tell it to place all the other components and it will choose the best location for them Ah. then it will maybe we should do this maybe we should convert this board to dip trace because eagle doesn't have that eagle just has has the auto auto router router. it doesn't have the auto placement you know what's what also eagle just put in their system what auto bga fan out okay that's useful but I haven't tried it yet. That's really useful because you can spend a whole freaking day doing that by hand. Yeah. Uh, that's that's kind of nice. <laughs> I haven't tried it yet. I have to see. <laughs> um, I guess it has just a whole bunch of parameters you put in and it automatically No idea. Well, give it a try. That sounds cool. Oh, I mean, I it's not like you and I use BGAs very yeah, often. That's the thing is usually I stop at TQFP 44. Uh, why 144s? Uh, TQFPs, which are 0.4 millimeter pitch parts right because they're hard to do by hand yeah. <laughs> you can't bend pins over I can't, I can't, yeah i think these are 0.5 millimeter these are 0.5, pitch yeah I, can. yeah I can see it with my eyes these are 0.5s <laughs> <laughs> you look at it and like it's like terminator vision yeah. and like auto calipers come in your peripherals <laughs> yeah except the boards are red so having terminator vision would just screw everything up yeah <laughs> <laughs> i can't see it anymore <laughs> You know what the funny thing about that is? Uh, let's, what's let's the funny thing quick, about that? I this podcast has gone on for like 58 minutes, but one more tangent on that. Uh, we're going to make it a full hour. Yeah. Is Terminator Vision. Okay. And so we have a bunch of scanners on our SMT line. Yep. I was talking to Steven last night about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they work great until they don't work great. Like they'll just miss boards that go underneath them randomly. And so I'm like, okay, why is it happening? So these scanners have three modes they go into. They have a deep sleep mode. They have a active scanning, so they're actually looking for barcodes. And then they have a passive scanning. And in passive scanning mode, they're not actively looking for a barcode. They're just looking for a contrast difference to then be activated into barcode right, they, scanning. They, they jump into action. Yeah, and that's power saving or some, you know... Whatever that is. Whatever for that reason. <laughs> uh, I actually think it's for heat because if they're in like active scanning for a long time, it says that like they can overheat. So it probably is something like that. Anyways, they flood the area with uh, red light, and we can turn off sleep mode. So sleep mode's disabled, so it's always in passive scanning. Well, when you have a red PCB going to an area that's saturated by Terminator red vision light. It doesn't actually see anything. Like I actually basically reconfigured them because they're they're just image sensors. So I had it like piping in video, and like when you see the board, I can see it because I know what to look for. But it's just a, it's such a faint line moving across. The scanner sometimes picks it up and sometimes doesn't. So the solution is to make it hit all the time was to um, I'm disabling the red illumination and putting like little LED lights and I actually <laughs> just break them open and swap the LEDs for I actually a thought about color. I thought about like that. blue light or something like yeah. that white uh, well that would yeah. work too unless it's a white PCB yeah oh no then you just put a black substrate down and then the white comes a- yeah that'll, that'll work there you go unless it's a blackboard <laughs> <laughs> can't win <laughs> it's just, uh, multicolor LEDs that just like cycle yeah Ah, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, on a very quick, yeah, rotation. Basis, yeah, but um, because what I noticed in the data was the boards that were not red, hundred percent scanned, <laughs> and like the red boards were like eighty some odd percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So interesting. There you go. Yeah, 
Terminator Vision is not perfect. Yep. No, it's not. I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. And your PCBs. Oh, wait. I can't see oh, them. Oh, I can't see them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So oh, with, yeah, with that, that so was Terminator, episode yeah. 107. Yeah, Let's size. terminate the episode. Yeah, terminate the episode. <laughs> <laughs> we were your hosts, uh, Stephen Craig. And Parker Doman. Take it easy. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs>